you don't just decide you need to work on yourself and then the next day you're a different person. It's, it has to be a long-term commitment. Mm-hmm. But you really have to have faith. Like the underlying belief has to be that like I am worthy of a better quality of life. Hello, thank you so much for tuning in to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I am your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person on my own personal journey of self-discovery and personal growth. This is a podcast all about the journey and figuring out what makes us come alive and prioritizing whatever that is every single day. When I started the podcast over two years ago, I thought that I would get the answers externally. And the more conversations I had and the more work that I did on myself, the more I realized that every single answer and all of the truths lie within and in the silence. I know that may sound a bit overwhelming, which is why my mission is to have candid conversations with relatable humans who I feel have truly come alive and get really clear about how they've come home to themselves, as well as share my own discoveries along the way. Welcome to Active Ingredient. My biggest wish for you is that you feel alive and that you tap into your active ingredient every single day. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Active Ingredients. It has been a week, which, you know, I really don't like missing any weeks, but sometimes you just got to do it. I prefer to give you guys quality episodes than just trying to pump one out. And to be honest, things on the Nude Nation side, on my uh, communications agency side, have been really exciting and growing a lot. And I just, I, I didn't have a chance to give you guys a really well thought out solo episode. So I'm sorry about not doing one last week, but I am so beyond excited about this week's episode. I am thrilled to be bringing you a guest interview with Branding Wiz and truly one of the most empathetic leaders that I personally know, Madison Utendahl. Madison is the founder and chief creative officer of Utendahl Creative, a all-female, Black-owned, full-service branding and design agency behind brands like Simon Huck's Judy, which I'm sure you guys have all seen all over Instagram, Halsey's About Face, and Lena Dunham's Good Thing Going Productions. Among several other industry-disrupting brands, I am sure that a brand that Madison and her team have worked on has definitely crossed your path. Prior to starting her own branding firm, she worked at Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, Refinery 29, 29 Rooms, and Museum of Ice Cream. She's really, truly a force to be reckoned with in branding. And not only is she a force in branding, she's also just actively paving the way for the future of work generally. She's starting out by, on her own team, protecting creative talent from burnout at all costs by making it mandatory for her whole team to take five weeks of vacation time. Her office closes for five weeks. She instilled this new practice for her agency about a month ago. And it's really a revolutionary and visionary example of how to lead and how to really protect creative flow, creative ideas, creative talent. And this also really goes across the board, but this is something she's so incredibly passionate about because she went through it. So in her prior roles, prior to starting Utendahl, she really did experience this level of extreme, extreme, extreme burnout And when she set out to create her own and she had kind of carte blanche on how to create this, she really kind of had a vision of what this next phase of agencies look like or what this next phase of creative brilliance and bringing that to the forefront could look like. And she is really putting her money where her mouth is and instilled a full five-week mandatory vacation time off for her team. I just think it's really cool that this is the first of many steps that she is instilling and really being a pioneer in the space of pre- of protecting her employees from burnout. On this episode, we really don't talk about branding at all. So I'm going to have to have a part two episode with her on the show, but we do get into her journey of realizing her own self-worth and detaching your identity from what you produce. This is something that I deal with a lot too, and I've been dealing with and really working on unpacking. We really get into that on this episode. We talk about having grace with yourself. And when people ask you about yourself, try thinking about the answer that you would give on behalf of your best friend. I feel like I'm butchering this, but it was one of my favorite takeaways from this episode. So when you get there, like really take that part in. And then we talk about the importance of focusing on impact and kindness 
above all else. Everything else follows. But if we can focus on impact more than legacy, more than quote unquote societal success, any of those things, if we can really just focus on impact and kindness, that is what Madison says will really transcend the decades. So with that, I'm wishing you guys all a incredible week ahead and Madison, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited me. to be doing this in studio I know. together. Yes. And like feeling like I've known you for a really long time, but like this is the first time we're meeting in person. <laughs> so like it wild. feels really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, Thank it feels you for good. Being here. It feels good to do these things in person again. Totally. I'm so Zoom fatigued. Same. I just can't do another anything on Zoom. I had Same. a pitch on Monday in person. And I just was like, this is so awesome. What was it like? Like, were you like showing us? Yeah, okay. totally in person with a client in a conference oh room. I, I think I would like not know what to do in that scenario yeah, anymore. It was, But it was great. <laughs> like, you know, you realize that so much of what a successful pitch is, is about how you show up and your personality and the eye contact and all these things that, like really can convince a client that like your team and you are worth investing in. On Zoom, it just doesn't... Especially at the end of the day. I'm curious, did you land, was it like a higher paying client? You think because, I don't know if it was a higher paying client, but do you think that that translates? Like when they feel the energy of the team, like, do you feel more confident being like, this is why we cost this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's more so creating and actually establishing trust. Like so rarely does like pricing get discussed at the actual pitch itself. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if the client can absorb the energy of the team and understand your value then when they go back to do the pricing, they have a lot more context, right? They know what they're betting on. They're like, okay, like we saw them in person. We met them. We shook their hand. They made eye contact. They're secure with themselves. Maybe it's worth paying extra for that. So I always start the podcast asking the guests what they were like as a kid that they remember. Mm. And I'm curious, do you feel like those childlike qualities are in your personality today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was a hyper curious and very observant child. Like my parents always have, they told me stories throughout my life of like taking me to a playground as a kid and me standing on the periphery and watching all the other children and then deciding from there who I wanted to play with. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I was that type of child. Like, yeah, you literally would go, yeah, just observe, take it all in and then assess And I feel like I'm very much like that now. Like I did my Enneagram and I'm a fact finder is one of my like top Mm. traits, which just means I like take a lot of time to do research, hyper curious before I jump in. There's very resourceful things about that trait and like very detrimental things about that trait, right? It can sometimes I can take longer to be convinced until I prove to myself it's worth it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, observant and curious are the two traits that my parents always say. How now, when you're in kind of like that research hole, Mm -hmm. do you catch yourself? Like, is there something that you kind of like have as a guidepost to be like, okay, I've taken this too far. Like, it's time to make a decision. Well, it's interesting because like, I'm actually very decisive. I've explored or been trying to explore like how I can reconcile these two things. How am I able to be both people at once? Like I'm stubborn and decisive sometimes like, and then very observant. So it's, it's really interesting how selective it is even for me subconsciously Hmm. on like the decisions I'm choosing to make and why. We're going to get to like your views on the workplace and leadership in general, Mm -hmm. but I do think that that's what has put you in the position to change rules entirely and establish things within companies that are just like, no one has ever done th- something right, like that right, before because right. I don't, and I, I'm like that too. I'm super curious. And I'm like, why are we doing this this way that like yeah. that makes no sense for anyone? Is anyone happy doing it? Right. Why are such few people questioning yeah. so many things? Like I question marriage. Mm-hmm. I question like the establishment of me, like yeah, all these things. Everything. And, I, and sometimes I feel so alone. Right. Like, do you yeah. feel that way? The way that I look at it is that, I mean, we breed fear societally, especially when it comes to work, right? Mm-hmm. Like your boss is the authority. You do what they say. You can't actually disrupt and change corporate culture. Like we're all cogs on a wheel, just like trying to pay our bills. And like, that's sort of what we're like taught work is. And then if we're fortunate and privileged enough, and I fully acknowledge my own privilege in the having the ability to be educated, to not have student loans, to then be able to start my own company, that has given me the freedom to change and question things. But I really believe that like until we actually change the mindset of work culture, I don't blame anyone or most people for not having the confidence or the ability even Mm -hmm. to actually say to their boss and say to their leadership, 
hey, why are we doing these things? Mm -hmm. So I really believe it's that if you are fortunate enough to have the privilege to challenge these things, it's a responsibility. Like, I feel I am like, it's a responsibility for me to change these things because I am one of the lucky ones that has the opportunity to do it. I completely agree. I think that there's an added layer to that because it's like, yeah, when you have the awareness, then you assume responsibility. But there's a, that layer of people just not being awake enough to mm-hmm. even like you can have a founder, CEO, leader, but it's like, what steps do we need to get to for mm-hmm. that level of awareness to be there? Because I do believe that people are inherently, I get you on the good and bad thing, but let's just like use the word good sure, for sure, the sake sure. of the podcast. Like, yeah. I do believe people are inherently good. If they knew better, they would do better. Sure. I just think that people are asleep. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how have you been continuing continuously waking up and like, right. how can we continue to wake up other people? Yeah, I would say... I mean, it's corny and cliche and like you have to start with actually acknowledging the traits within yourself that you want to change or evolve, Mm -hmm. right? Like I fundamentally do not believe in the the sentiment that people don't change, like completely disagree with that. I think we all have the capability, the capacity to change and evolve Mm -hmm. in life. We have to decide that we want to do that. So I think a lot of people stay asleep because change and self-reflection is a terrifying thing. It could mean total disruption to the life that you live. It could mean leaving your partner, quitting your job, changing cities, stop speaking to somebody in your family or in your friend group that you realize is actually harmful to your mental health. Like these are such big reality, harsh changes for a lot of people. And it's unfathomable, I think, for most people to actually look at themselves and say, I'm ready for these big changes that could happen if I start to do this self-personal work. So it's easier, I would imagine, for most people to choose not to do it. That's what I think. And I think that it's it's quote unquote easier because Mm -hmm. actually 20 years, 30 years, 40 years down the line, it's you have a mental breakdown. So much worse. <laughs> and you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have so much less life to live yeah. in full authenticity. So it's easier in that moment. It's like that immediate gratification. But yeah. I don't know. I, I, and I say this like my listeners were going to be like, Sophie, you sound like a broken record. But I'm always like, it's literally the ripping of a band aid to just open up this mm-hmm. can of worms once. Yeah. Young. Try to yeah. do it young. Yeah. Because people always have these conversations. You hear these people on podcasts that like are 70, have had mm-hmm. super successful careers. And then they realize I didn't have time for my wife. I didn't have time mm-hmm. for my kids. Blah, blah, blah. We don't have to wait till we're fucking 70 yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. But I also have deep empathy and compassion <laughs> for people who just like are that afraid, you know, because I really believe that like fear is the underlying reason why we don't do the work on ourselves as human beings. Fear of what outcome can happen afterwards. Fear of what the changes within ourselves Fear that we might not like the person that we are or the person we're becoming. And that's a really scary thing to have to look into yourself and acknowledge. As humans, we really like to see the ROI on things. Like mm-hmm. we, we like to have at least some level of understanding of what to expect. Like mm-hmm. in your journey, mm-hmm. what have you seen happen that like, not that people can expect the same thing because everyone's journey is different, but like what you've seen with people that you know have gone through similar paths or like mm-hmm. what can we kind of like showcase for someone who's like thinking about opening up that can of worms Mm -hmm. not that they can expect but like this is a process that could be expected sure i would say that like it starts with the belief that like you are worthy of a better quality of life if we can fully accept that like i as madison you as sophie listener as listener is actually worthy of living a life that is fulfilling and worthwhile and happy then all this work can begin to happen When you say, like, what is the ROI on that investment? It's hard to know because, right, what is success to each person is an individual thing. For myself, I think of the person I was 12 years ago. I had a severe eating disorder. I was manically depressed. I was just completely unhappy because I was unable and unwilling to do the work. And the return on the investment is like 12 years later to not be on any antidepressants, to be recovered from eating disorder, to like be present, be able to have these conversations, be in a loving relationship, have money. All of these things are a return on the investment I made when I was a sophomore in college. And I was like, I have a problem. To me, that's an investment. That's a return on the investment. I literally have goosebumps all over my entire body. (laughs) You know, like it's. It's a long game. It's a marathon. It's not an immediate, you don't just decide you need to work on yourself and then the next day it's, you're a different person. It's, it has to be a long-term commitment, mm-hmm. but you really have to have faith. Like the underlying belief has to be that like, I am worthy of a better quality of life. 
and what is my better quality of life versus yours. That's subjective. That's, it doesn't all need to be the same, but it has to start with like a true belief and worthiness or as Brene Brown calls it, wholeheartedness. Right? Is this like sense of I love her so much? Oh my God, <laughs> Brene! If you ever listen to this, no, Brene is you. literally she is she is my north. Like when I do my visioning of like who is going to be on this podcast, yeah. she will be on. Oh my God, she's day. amazing. She's so incredible. Yeah, but she talks. Yeah, she talks. That's her whole thing. Is like we struggle to live happy, fulfilled lives because of an inherent disbelief that we are worthy of them. Where does that come from? Have you sat and like thought like where does this come from? I it goes so hand in hand, but like this, I think women more than men, just not to like generalize, but I do think this in my bones, mm-hmm. like to trust that we can and mm-hmm. to trust ourselves in our own intuition mm-hmm. that leads to like, once you continue to see like, oh, I trusted myself and this happened, then you start to see, oh yeah, like I am worthy of it. I trusted myself mm-hmm. and this happened, you know? Yeah. So like, where does this come from? <laughs> I think it's so different for everyone. I mean, for I can only speak to my own personal experience, but I believe that like my lack of worthiness that I experienced for so much of my adolescence, especially came from a societal glorification of like my anxiety, right? Like I was a super high achieving kid, super high achieving high school student, went to Brown, blah, 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 got a, you know, graduated early, the whole thing. And everyone was glorifying that. Everyone was like, wow, like Madison, type A, type A, type A, type A. With that positive, like, undertone, with that, like, oh, my oh God. she's amazing. She's amazing. She's great. She's killing it. And I'd be like, I'm dying on the inside, literally dying. But you guys are all glorifying this terrible trait within me to be a perfectionist. And what it created for me was just, like, deep shame. How can I be celebrated by so many people and so many things, but I am so unhappy? Boom. Kills your worthiness, right? Because you're just like, oh, my God, I should feel... Amazing. Everyone's telling me this is amazing. The things I'm doing are amazing, but I'm unhappy. What's wrong with me? I've, there's got to be something wrong with me. Like inherently. That's yeah. The, that's the shame. That's what happens. That's the shame. That- the deep shame. Like, how am I not happy? And then boom, your worthiness, your sense of self, the shame that gets associated just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. So I think part of it is like societal responsibility and language. Like I do not say to people, you are killing it. Like I am super conscious that it's like anti in my book. Like no one on my team were allowed to say that because you have no idea how that other person feels. And I feel like we project a lot societally. We're like, you're doing amazing. You have no idea if that's how that person actually feels. There's a way to give affirmation and compliments without projecting how someone is doing. Someone could have said to me, Madison, like, that's so cool that you go to Brown. Not like, oh, my God, you're so you're doing so fucking great. Yeah. Like, like, you are amazing versus like you are doing something cool. Yeah. Like, like gives this separate totally separate. I mean, you are amazing is, is an affirmation. You're doing amazing things. You are killing it is insinuating that someone's doing something right. that might not be actually how they feel. Right. And so. I find that like a lot of our worthiness is a product of like us actually not having strong tools for communication, both in expression of how we personally feel and both how we support and affirm others. How did you get to that level of awareness where you recognize that people were affirming these things? You had a conflict within how you're feeling inside and then took step one to get to know yourself better, to remove the shame. What was that process? I mean, for me, when I was in college and I was had my eating disorder I just was like, wait a minute. I I don't care if people keep complimenting me and telling me I look great. Like, I feel fucking terrible. Like, I feel terrible. What did you feel? Oh, I mean, so you're, I couldn't function. I had severe brain fog. My skin was like green, terrible acne, like just no nutrients in my body. So it just got to a point where like, I couldn't even receive what anyone was saying to me, no matter what it was, because I was so debilitated by the disorder itself. So that feeling for me was like, this is, this is not health. Mm-hmm. This is not feeling good. I have to do something about this. This is and your sophomore year? This is my sophomore year. And I was fortunate enough to have a family that also was willing to say to me, there's certain people in life, there's like no point of return, I believe, unfortunately, with certain addictions. And I nipped it in the butt before I got there. Like I have two parents, a sister, a brother at the time, a stepmom or dad's girlfriend who was equivalent to a stepmom who were like... You got to nip this now. You're young enough to actually make changes. And you can always make changes, Mm -hmm. but there's 
it's a lot harder to make habit and pattern changes when you're older. Mm-hmm. So I could disrupt my habits and disrupt the patterns if I started younger. And that changed my life. It changed my life. But there's a responsibility if someone vocalizes to you, I totally. have a problem in that community to support that person and to help totally. them on that journey. And so I had that experience in college and it is extremely challenging and painful to go through treatment. It's talk about feeling like you failed, right? It's like entering a treatment facility for an addiction. And no one knew other than your family. My immediate friends knew for sure. It was obvious. I was, I mean, I'm 5'10 and I was like 115 pounds. So I was like really obviously unwell, but going to treatment is the best thing I've ever done. That was for me the like band-aid strip entirely oh my goodness like there's like you have a choice at that moment Mm -hmm. right I was 19 so a long time ago now but that was really the beginning for me of this journey of trying to understand who I am and flash forward five years later and I remember at the time aesthetically societally especially modeling that like wafy super thin Mm -hmm. concave curved in look was considered chic so I was constantly getting affirmations constantly mm-hmm. about that being that size, but internally felt terrible. Get out of treatment. Five years later, I'm working at a business and I'm I'm just grinding to the point of no return, right? Just totally exhausted. Reached my, my max Do you remember capacity. the why then? Like, do you remember like what you were seeking? You know, I think it was partially age. I was 24. And so I was really young and didn't understand my boundaries. Mm-hmm. I really wanted the company to succeed. You know, I'd put a lot of time and energy into it. We all really believed in it. And there was like a deep enthusiasm for its success. Mm-hmm. But I found myself in a very similar predicament of people telling me you're killing it. So again, not complimenting the weight, because at that point I was six years out of treatment. So we had very much recovered. But I was getting the same affirmation of like, you're killing it. You're doing a really good job. Oh, my God, do, you're doing you are killing. It. Do you think that it's like it's the same like sensation, but manifested in like 100%. the same sensation from the eating disorder is manifested in work? A hundred percent. And so it became a moment where I had to say to myself, wow, I've repeated this pattern in a different form. Why am I doing this to myself again? Why am I torturing myself? Maybe I'm not starving myself anymore. I'm not, I'm not treating my body that way. But why am I allowing myself to be so miserable and letting the affirmation of other people dictate how I feel? And that's when I was like, I need to go on a journey of self-worth. I need to go on a and journey of shame. Too. Yes, I, yes. I'm on that one as well. I think any listener can relate to this. Like, how do you do that when validation, it seems like it's something that it has to come from someone else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's in the name, like you're being validated. Like how, how did you work with that? It it just became, you know, what is the state? The fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Yeah. I always like, you know, the George Bush version, that's like (laughs) not the right one where he's like, fool me once. Can't fool me again, or whatever it is. I always say that one, and I'm like, that is not. I should not I'm be dead. saying that one. I always mess it up. I forget. Is it, is it who is it who has a song that they use that? Maybe it's a Kid Cudi song. I can't remember. <laughs> that was a, a huge for me. That was like, okay, this 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 pattern has reappropriated itself and is showing up in a different mm-hmm. form. If I'm doing the work, the work starts now, right? Because like basically, I've done the work in one capacity. I got sidetracked showed up and the the error showed up in another form Mm -hmm. i need to now actually like get into the weeds truly truly understand what's going on and why i'm self why am i practicing Mm self-sabotage and so after i left that job for the past when was that how old am i now i'm 30 i guess i left four years ago since then it's just been like deep work on shame and self-worth really understanding myself, really understanding those subjects, right? How do I actually get to the bottom, to the deep, deep, deep bottom of what I believe I'm worth? And what does that work look like? Oh my God. I mean, it's so much meditation. It's so much journaling. It's having conversations like this. It's being vulnerable. It's entering all these spaces that feel scary. You know, even just opening up to someone I don't know and talking about that experience is part of the work. work. Yeah. Yeah. I was essentially been operating in a scarcity mindset. And I think what happens is that 
And these are not my words. This is another Brene Brownism. She always talks about how the opposite of scarcity is not abundance. It's about being enough. And if we just oscillate from one extreme to the other, then we're never actually going to find equilibrium. Mm-hmm. But like the true goal in life is to just sit in a place of being satiated and feeling enough, period. Why do we have such a hard time with that and it not being attached to anything else? Yeah. I think about babies all the time and I'm like, they don't do anything. They don't do (laughs) anything. They just sit there and they're enough. Yeah. They're enough exactly as they are. Yeah. You know, I think we have so much around us that creates a belief system that there's needs to be more, whether it's social media, whether it's our celebrity culture, whether it's like are even just like how we talk about being an entrepreneur. It's this more, there's more, there's more out there. You could always live in a bigger apartment. You can make more money. Oh my God, but you could be famous. You could be an influencer. Wow, you can be an influencer for your damn dog. Like there's so (laughs) many opportunities out there. It feels like to have more. And so I think it, it really prevents us from being comfortable with just sitting with what is. But the, tr- the greatest reality check in life is like, I think the people who actually get to have it in quotes it all are the ones who are the most comfortable with what it is because they're not searching. And so I believe the universe rewards people who are just like completely still. How do we actively practice that when we do live in that culture? And, mm-hmm. and you know, some people listening may be early on in their career, so they might still be in that mm-hmm. kind of like exploratory phase or like working really hard. Like yeah. how... Do you actively practice that? Because it is a balance. Yeah. And like, I think that we're both people that like, we do like to see cool opportunities and see them through, you know, like what's the balance between being uh, feeling enough and content and striving? Yeah, that's a great question. What is that balance? I think it's about always going back to finding joy. If you're starting out in your career, like create boundaries for yourself where joy does not get lost. Because that, for some reason, is the first thing that we sacrifice is play and fun and joy. Because we, we're taught that they're trivial things. They're nice when to have. When they're literally the... Crucial. Like, they're the, what's the word, pre- predecessor? Yeah. Is that yeah. the right word? Yeah. For abundance, for <laughs> contentment, peace, uh, yeah. Yeah. wholeness, wholeheartedness. Like, it comes, it stems from joy. Actually, speaking of Brene Brown, she quoted Howard Thurman on a podcast that I listened to on a run, actually. I've said it on this podcast a million times because it's very in line, but she's like, the world doesn't need you to find the solution to a new product. The world doesn't need mm. for you to find the this next big thing. What the world needs is for people to come alive. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're a person that has come alive, people recognize that mm-hmm. aliveness in themselves and then that's how things move. Yeah. But I agree. Joy. Joy. <laughs> joy. No one taught me that I needed to maintain joy. Mm-hmm. No one. No one was like, hey, when you graduate from college and life gets really real... And you've got to pay bills and taxes and all these things that, like, you don't have to do when you're young, super young, still young after college, but very, very young. Mm -hmm. No one says, and make sure that, like, you carve out time to have a good time. And I don't mean, like, getting fucked up and partying, which is fun, and you should do it. And I did a lot of it, and I have no regrets. But I mean, like, things like allocating time to just do nothing allocating time to have a hobby, allocating time to not let go of the creative things in your life that you enjoy doing, whether it's your occasional improv class or playing volleyball in Domino Park or like just going to a new neighborhood or seeing a movie, reading a book. Like all of these things are actually sources of joy. We always cut them out. How do you stay accountable? Like how do you ensure that every single day you're doing that? You have to make that decision. There's no one else who can make that decision for you. But like in the beginning of your day, are you like, what in my day today, what is something that I'm going to do today that's going to be full of joy? A hundred percent. Set intentions every single morning. And I'm not perfect. I mess up all the time. There's days I don't get to meditate. There's days I don't get to journal. There are days I forget to set intention to the middle of the day, to the end of the day. But I realize that if I don't set intention, I don't actually say to myself my, my, my affirmations are or what I seek to achieve then like it's no one else's responsibility or fault that like I didn't find joy that day. I chose not to. I chose not to. There's, I think we struggle with being 100% responsible. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard. But it's so worthwhile. What's an example of something that you would do on a work day to ensure your joy? I'll give you an example of like what I did before versus like what I do now. Yeah, perfect. Before I would wake up 
I would go to bed on Slack, literally, reading Slack, signed off on Slack, put my phone away, wake up in the morning, immediately check my Slack, check my email, scroll Instagram, still in bed, one eye open, put my phone down, make a cup of coffee, check the time, walk my dog, then rush off. This is pre-COVID. Rush off to some sort of like high-intensity workout, Barry's boot camp, soul cycle, go on a run, come home, quickly shower, get back on Slack, stay on Slack and my email as I walked to the subway and then got on the subway, answered a bunch of emails, answered Slack, took a phone call from the subway to the office, was at the office for eight to 12 hours a day, on Slack again, in the Uber home, because I got to get reimbursed if it was like after eight or 9 p.m., and did the same thing every fucking day, every day for years. I'm sure people listening can relate. Like that's the story. Years, years that's the narrative. Like that's what people are like. Oh, I'm I'm successful because I'm doing this yeah. from the second that I wake up to the second that I go to sleep. Yeah, literally. And no one. And I'd be at dinner, and I'd leave dinner because I had to do something for the next morning, or. You know, I was having lunch actually yesterday with a friend of mine and he was remarking how like the rare occasion at the time in my life when I would decide to go out, I would have these like, as he described it, like these like moments of panic where I actually was having fun. And then I'd realize I was having fun. I'd be like, I have to go home. Wait, I need to explore this more with you because I do think that generally speaking, we have a really hard time when things are good. Yeah. Why? Discomfort, feeling we're not worthy of it. Feeling that we are not worthy of having a good time. It's like the other shoe is going to drop. Uh-huh. And like my family is Catholic. Catholic guilt is real. This is a whole other podcast. Like <laughs> we need to come. No, yeah. I'm being dead serious. You need to read this book that I'm reading. It's yeah. mind blowing. It's 100% a thing. But like I, I don't want to get super yeah, off track. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to come back and we have to do a whole thing on Catholic yeah, guilt. Yeah. Because this is a real thing. Yeah. And it's and there's, it's, there's you know, friends of mine who are Jewish, like they will talk about Jewish religious guilt. guilt. Yeah, religious guilt. Religious it's guilt. like it is a very real thing. Totally. And I'm not a religious person. I'm a super spiritual person. But I think it's been Same. culturally ingrained. And I'd guilt trip myself and leave. And so this was my complete cycle until COVID. And my partner at the time also operated the same way. And so we were like, God, like, I can't even like just Tasmanian devils. You know what I mean? <laughs> just both of us like, da, 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 da. and we wake up and we do Barry's boot camp together. And we buy it up growing our businesses like, ah, like literally <laughs> crazy people. And so we mirrored each, mirrored each other, not realizing that there was anything wrong with it right. because we were both doing the same thing with different businesses and we had different patterns. And he was like significantly chiller than I ever have been. But he very much emulated a lot of the same patterns that I had. And so COVID happened. And all of a sudden, like, I was like, wow, I don't get to do a lot of these things anymore. I don't get to go to Barry's boot camp every single day. Mm-hmm. I don't get to actually be on Slack all the time. I don't get to have meetings. My meetings blocked. And I, you know, I had already started doing the work when I had left the job that instilled a lot of those behaviors in me Mm -hmm. because I learned many of those things and I carried them into starting my new business. I had a a moment of awareness. I was like, wait a minute, I own my own company now. Like, I don't have to do these things. And so I started to change these habits and I started to like really practice joy. And so I started putting my phone on airplane mode. I turned my notifications off of Slack. So now to this day, four years later, even when I started my company, I don't have notifications on Slack. I have to consciously turn on Slack, right? I have to, I don't have email notifications on my computer or my phone. So I have to say to myself, I'm checking my email right now. I'm checking my Slack right now. I've talked about this on many interviews, but it's like, I swear by this to the day I die, I put my phone on airplane mode at 9 PM and I do not turn it off until I meditate and journal in the morning. Hard stop. Like, non-negotiable. I do it on the weekends as well. Like until those two things are done, there's no way to reach me. And guess what? Did anyone die? No. Did anyone client leave because of that? No. Did you lose money? No. Did you lose your relationship? Nope. Nothing has ever happened. Okay. I do the, I do the same, not on airplane mode, but it's the same thing. And there's so much fear in the beginning, even like sleeping with the phone outside of my room. I'm like, well, what if something happens to my family? Family's still alive. Thank God. What if a client is calling me on alert? Never happens. Like don't pick up. Totally, totally. But like, there is this fear. And I think it starts that is like the first habit is what you're doing in the morning. And it's like, there's so much fear around what's going to happen if your phone is not the first thing that you check. And it's like, we're just like, what are all the things that people think about? Like, they're not happening. Yeah, they're not happening. And here's the other reality that like, if if your family did die, it would have happened either way. It would have happened either way. And you 
learning that news at one in the morning because you like turned over and checked your phone or 7 a.m. when you wake up, it's not going to feel any different. Exactly. And that's the harsh reality, right? Like it's still going to be tragic. So to live your life in case of that phone call is not worth it. But you have to believe you are worthy of a good night's rest. You have to believe that you're worthy, that this client is going to stick with you because of your who you are, not because you pick up the phone at 11 p.m. Totally. Right? And if you don't believe those things, then they won't either. So for someone who's listening, who's like, okay, this all makes sense. Like, I get this. I'm having a really hard time. Like, people sometimes, like, with affirmations, like, they don't believe them. Yeah. You know, like, how did you start? Because maybe in the beginning, it Mm -hmm. doesn't really feel like it clicks. Like, it doesn't feel like you Mm -hmm. can believe those words. Like, I am worthy regardless of if Mm -hmm. I check my slacker answer, whatever. What tips or advice would you give to someone for like the beginning when they're Mm -hmm. maybe not really believing it? I mean, this is language that we have both learned from Ben, who's the coach that we both have seen. Starting with language like I get to allows is like a baby step to eventually getting to I am worthy or I'm deserving. So like I get to have a good night's rest. If you don't believe you're worthy of a good night's rest, you can start by saying you get to have a good night's rest. I get to turn my phone off. How cool is that? I get to see my friends. I get to have this meal. That is opportunity. That's abundance. That's acknowledgement. And if we can start with I get to, then eventually it can evolve into I am worthy of, I am deserving of. And then you get to even evolve further. And where I'm at and at my affirmations is like one that I always say is success, approval, and recognition are traits that don't define me. Then you can get past even the belief of I'm worthy, which I know I am, to acknowledging the hard ones, right? Which is like, what does it mean for Madison to say success doesn't define me? So with that, as humans, I do think that we rely on things to define us. Do you know what defines you? Yeah, I do now. I definitely do now. Success, approval, recognition, these things are all subjective and fleeting, right? They're momentary. And if you live your life with this belief system that those are the things that like make you a good person or worthy, then you're just going to be stuck. Yeah. In that so what would you say is like what defines you now? What defines me now is I can confidently say, no, I'm a very good person, right? Like I treat people well. I treat myself well. I sleep. I eat really well. I exercise. Like I hang out with my friends. I like make love to my boyfriend. These are amazing, beautiful things in life we all get to do. Mm-hmm. Those things define me, right? That's, totally. that's about quality time. That's good quality time with yourself and with others. That's how I choose to be defined. I really would rather someone say, like, Madison was a good person in my obituary. Like, Madison was a good person. She treated people well. She treated herself well. She was an example of quality of life versus, like, Madison, 30 under 30, Webby Awards. Like, blah. no one gives a shit. I always think about that. Like, what is your legacy? And, like, what is the impact you want to leave on people? We have a huge fixation on legacy. We don't really have a fixation on impact. But like legacy is also fleeting if you're not a good person, if you're not nice to other people, if you didn't make an impact, you don't get to transcend the decades. You'll be in the memory bank of when like your legacy is valid. But how many actors, politicians, writers do we not know, but like had their moments of fame? Mm -hmm. They had a legacy, but they didn't make a good impact because they weren't what? Maybe they weren't a really nice person. Maybe they weren't that likable. It's so true. I get the 30 under 30 thing a lot. Every year people message me and they're like, Madison, how do I get 30 under 30? I'm like, they asked me too, by the way. Yeah. Sophie, how can you get me on 30 under 30? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, why do you want that? And why? Wh- What's the why? And, you know, it's sorry, Forbes, but like it doesn't actually change your life. I hate to break it to anybody that is like thinking that getting under 30 is going to be this like huge door opener, which I actually believe most people think. Mm -hmm. I think they think they get this like, look, don't get me wrong. The day you receive it and you get that fucking email. Oh, my God. It's like the greatest high of life. Like you feel great. But guess what? You wake up the next morning and you still have to do the damn shit. (laughs) I mean, like. 30 under 30 isn't a, doesn't come with a million dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just... So you're still you. You're still Madison. You yes. still have to wake up, you do your thing, meditate, do your journal, thing. Do, do your damn thing. How do you find grace with yourself when you've been 
in a zone of not setting intentions? And how do you come back? That's a great question. Oftentimes what I do is I forgive myself. If I start to go down a cycle of having negative self-talk, I try to set myself back and say, you were just doing the best you can with what you have. And like, you forgot today. That's okay. Keep going. How would you talk to somebody else? It's that simple, but it's, it's actually one of the best lessons that I was ever told when it came to interviewing was answer the questions if you were speaking about your best friend. Some people are like, what are your three qualities that you love about yourself? My best friend is a woman named Olivia. How would I talk about Olivia? And without hesitation, I can tell you three amazing things about Olivia. Yeah. Boom. Like she's brilliant. She's incredibly thoughtful and she's hyper curious. Those are probably things I, we're all mirrors of each other. So the things that you admire in other people are actually things you most likely believe about yourself. That's the best piece of advice I think I've ever heard. <laughs> no, it's so true. It's so true. It's so incredibly true. So in these moments of negative self-talk, actually think about like, how would I talk to my sister? What would I say to her in this moment? Would I be like, you loser? <laughs> you know, I would not. You know what I mean? I'd be like, it's okay, Cindy. Like, you had a tough time. You had a yeah, hard day. Like I would you're never. always there. Like, yeah. you always show up. Like, it's okay. Yeah. If my boyfriend's having a tough day or, like, did something that he's not proud of, I'm not like, you idiot. You know what I mean? Totally. I'm like, it's okay, babe. Like, totally. It is what it is. It's, that is honestly one of the best pieces. I've never heard Guys, this is like the best takeaway I think we've had on the podcast. <laughs> when people ask you about yourself, pretend that you're talking about your best friend or your sister. Because yeah. it's so true. Like, they have a million qualities, but the ones that you say are the ones that are reflective of you because 100%. it's a recognition. It's all mirroring, right? Like, like, when you can see the best qualities in things or people, it's you. Mm-hmm. Like, you're seeing yourself. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And you're only uncomfortable by things on other people that you're uncomfortable with yourself. With. 1,000%. Every time I get agitated or pissed or annoyed or triggered, whatever. I'm like, I know Ben hates that word. So I'm like weird about saying it. I'm always like, oh shit, what does it say about me? I'm like, what, what needs healing in here? Like, what does that remind me of me? What would you say to someone who's listening to this podcast that does not know how to start their journey, that they want to live fulfillment, not necessarily in career, but like the first thing that you're like from this interview, Mm. this is something that you would recommend. Start with self-education. Start with not putting the ownership on yourself, but listen to the advice of the people of this world who have so gracefully and generously put their thoughts on paper. Read Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Brene Brown, Read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, I've never read that one. Oh, my God. Love that book. Okay. Love Big Magic. Read Rest by Alex. Gosh, I'm going to butcher his last name. We'll put in the podcast notes. Rest by Alex. Something. Something. <laughs> Read Ikigai. Ikigai is an incredible book. It's short. It's 90 pages. It's all about the balance of life. They basically go to blue zones throughout the world to understand how these centigenarians have been able to live to over 100. And it's because they live a life of Ikigai, which is the balance of for yourself, for others, and for the community. And start with that education. And what that does, it alleviates a lot of the pressure on yourself to the immediate change. But you can, when you start absorbing and learning from other people, great. Think about, there are so many resources out there to support with mindfulness. So whether you choose to start with Headspace, Chopra, Deepak Chopra has an amazing meditation app. If you're someone like myself, like I had to go sign up to a meditation intensive. And if you're in New York, there's a place called Spring Street Meditation which is over the weekend, it's about four or five hours a day on Friday and Saturday and Sunday, Vedic meditation. And you go, you put your phone away and someone teaches you how to meditate three days in a row for four to five hours. And it's really intense because if you were like me who never meditated, never sat with yourself, it's extremely uncomfortable, but it's a crash course. For me, it was amazing because I tried Headspace, I tried Chopra, I had tried Insight Timer and it was still on your phone. Right. So all the other distractions, the digital connection that you have trying to meditate, if it's your first time and not how you're wired, then like it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So think about think about yourself and like, what do you need to succeed? Sorry to interrupt. No, please. Like you, because you're like such a branding brain. I'm so curious about your thoughts on the branding of self-help. Yeah. Like just that category in general, sure. like even when I go in a bookstore and I'm like in the self-help aisle because of the branding and mm-hmm. like the marketing that's been around the word self-help and having that negative connotation or yeah. like, is she okay? Like 
what like what would you do to the self-help category as a branding person? And what do you think about just the brand of self-help? You know, honestly, like I've just reached a place like to each their own. Some people need the like overly obvious titles of like there's literally books out there that's like you're not okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's some people who need to see that. I'm like, yes. I'm not. Thank you. You know, <laughs> there really are. Some people need that, right? Like some people need the the self-help book that just is a Buddha on the front. And that's enough of a single signal for them to pick it up. Some people need the religious version of self-help. It seems to me like the way that at least I've seen it in media, it's like you go there when you're at a point where you need help. Mm-hmm. Self-help. Not at a point where like you don't have to fucking break down, have a mental breakdown, like do all these things. To understand, like, actually, if you get to know yourself, whether or not you had a low point or whatever, everything else in your life is going to be better. Mm -hmm. So, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be at a point where you need help. Yeah, that's true. I love that. Yeah, no, I think that, like, I mean, the redefining or rebranding of it would be about, like, self-curiosity, right? Like Exactly. Yes. If you are even, like, slightly curious about how things should go, about, like, how you feel— how others may feel, how you can support others definitely could deserve and could use a rebrand. I mean, the way that I look at it is that like where self-help as terminology, where self-care as a category is dangerous is when people are not practicing it, but speaking to it. That's the only time where I think it's dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like tons of examples of people exploiting others. Totally. It's not an industry that's foolproof. Yeah. Right? There's it's like self-care, take a bubble bath. And it's like, I've had a full mental breakdown of that <laughs> bubble bath before because I didn't do the, I hadn't done yeah. the work yet. Yeah. Or like, you, you know, know, irresponsible healers, people who yeah. are not actually blessed, people who are, have no practice, you know, they have never actually, there's coaching courses, right? There are people who are certified in these things. And then there's right. like subjective opinion. That's dangerous to me. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets dangerous. Like, Did your healer just, like, get awakened one day and you're following them? Like, probably do some more homework there. Maybe that's not the most responsible thing. Totally. I personally think there's, like, there is a lot of irresponsibility in the category. Mm -hmm. And I think where it's dangerous at times, right, is, like, because there's a lot of desperation when people reach it. Because we don't define it as self-curiosity. People do are at the point of a mental breakdown a lot of time when they start to self-explore. So when you're that vulnerable and in a place of complete self-doubt and complete self-loathing, it can get dangerous if you are not actually tapping into and learning from teachers and healers and experts that actually are really knowledgeable in this space. I'm going to campaign for you and all creative (laughs) to take on the task of creating this category. So there's two, there should be a self-help for when you're in that space and self-curiosity that should be kind of like the human 101 category. Every human should read these books. Yeah, no, I mean, like, that's interesting in terms of doing a book list. I mean, but for anyone who's listening, like, if you're looking for people to start looking into to help you, like, I'm a big believer in Brendan Burchard. I think that he's brilliant. He's incredibly knowledgeable. I haven't read any of his books. Oh, my God. He's just, his podcast fantastic as well. What I like about Brendan is he's very real and honest. He's the person who coined, like, doubt is distraction in disguise, which has been one of the biggest unlocks for me ever, which is— I've literally never heard that, and I, again, have That's him. It's all Brendan. He's, you know, really— has an amazing way. I mean, he's got like Brendanisms. Doubt is distraction in disguise. Yeah, right. So when we're doubting ourselves, there's probably you're something we procrastinating, actually you're procrastinating. Yeah. What you actually want to be doing. Brendan Burchard. I'm a big Glennon Doyle fan. I just really relate to her. Immensely. Have you listened to Glennon Abbey interviewing Brene? Yeah, it's amazing. It's like this is literally magic on a podcast. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And if you if these are still too nouveau, like n- new age people, like get listen to some good old fashioned Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> totally. You know what I mean? Like listen to Super Soul Sundays. Like you totally. will learn things about yourself. Like she is an OG. You can trust Big O. You have to do the work to find out who is the best person for, for you. you. And then sometimes I need to like listen to Deepak Chopra. Right. Or Eckhart Tolle. Right. And that's a com- literally couldn't be more. Po- if you want to have. I wonder if they've ever spoken. I would love to be would witness love to, to hear that, that conversation because yeah. they have very they actually talk about similar things, but they have different energies. Right. Totally. So do the keep exploring, figuring out who that person is. OK, Madison, you're going to have to come back on this show because we didn't talk anything branding, which I really wanted <laughs> to get to with you. But is there anything else from this conversation, which I think is actually going to set the tone really well for the next conversation for part two, that you would want to leave our listeners with? 
Be kind to yourself. Whatever that means. Give yourself grace. And when you start to give yourself grace, you can give others grace. There's an amazing speech that David Foster Wallace gave called This is Water. And he talks about how when you get to the Starbucks line or the grocery store and the woman in front of you like cannot find her wallet and you get really frustrated and you're like, oh, come on, I need to be somewhere. I got to go. You have to remember that that woman might be like a single mom with three kids and working four jobs. And so she's tired and maybe she left her wallet because she's trying to juggle all of those things. So maybe you should give her grace. But if you don't give yourself grace first, and if you don't say to yourself, wow, I have somewhere to be and I'm overwhelmed, but I'm here right now, then you can't give her grace either. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the capacity. And she really needs you to give her some grace because she's going through a lot. Mm-hmm. And so give yourself grace because it will help you give grace to other people. It will help you navigate the world with much more ease and calm. And it will really help you begin that journey of self-work and self-care. And it's ongoing. It's ongoing. I will forever be doing this work. I know. Sometimes I'm like, what if I just stopped doing everything? Oh, gosh. <laughs> like, what would happen? I, yeah. Sometimes I'm like, my morning routine now is literally two and a half hours I long. <laughs> and I'm like, what if I just didn't? What would yeah. happen? What but would it's, happen? But I really, I, I don't want to not do it because it serves me right now. It serves you. And like, it's what for you is joy. For yeah. me, it's joy. Like, I take immense joy with my like oat milk latte that I make every morning and journaling. Like, True bliss. Bliss. Mm-hmm. Isn't it crazy that the things, like if you actually sit down and write them, the things that you would categorize in bliss joy aisle, they don't cost much. They really don't. Nope. All of them. An oat milk latte sitting on a couch with literally nothing to do. No mm-hmm. no electronics oh, around. That is joy with not, when you have nothing to do. Nothing. Oh a candle God. is lit and the temperature is yeah. right and you have your blanket and you're just sitting there. Yeah. Joy. Joy. That Total costs joy. zero dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Thank you so much thank for being for here. This was me. amazing. Thank you, thank you. Well, this is great. part two. We're going to do two, three, four, yeah, five. Yeah, yeah, literally. Thank you. Everything. Thank you. Ah! Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of the episode. You have no idea how much it means to me. And I really do hope that you left this conversation feeling lighter, more in tune, and with some tools to apply to your own life. Please feel free to reach out to me via DM on Instagram. I would absolutely love that, which I have linked in the show notes on any feedback or guests that you want to have on. And if you do have a second, I would really appreciate you giving the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and a quick review. It really helps getting the podcast in front of more people like you. See you next week.